in the room. We are in the time of the church year where we start bringing blankets. Uh, apparently the heat will be cut on tomorrow, which helps us out today. <laughs> but um, it's, it's good to have you here and good to have you on Zoom. We are, we are in the topic that I think somewhat I've been almost wanting to avoid. We're, we're talking about suffering today. Uh, it happens to be Nikki's birthday as an Enneagram 7, someone who avoids suffering. This is my mean gift. Favorite topping. Nothing says happy 26th birthday like a conversation on suffering. Um, here's why I wanted to avoid it. Uh, we're allergic to it. Like, we, we try to run from it a little bit. I was watching that, that Hulu show, Dope Sick, about Oxycontin and the rise of Oxycontin. I know the show is based on a book, that the book is based on the truth. I don't, I don't know how much the show varies. But a big part in the show was that as U.S. folk, we think we should just be able to avoid it. We, we just shouldn't have to suffer. And... Uh, that's fascinating. And, and we're going to look at Scripture a little bit, but I, I want to give a caveat right at the beginning. I'm not at all trying to... He, here's what we're doing. We're going to look at a couple ways that Scripture has understood suffering. We're going to look at a couple passages from some letters that Paul wrote as Paul was suffering. And then we're just going to be like, okay, so what do we do with this, and what does God want to do with this? Afterwards, we'll have some time if you guys want to talk more instead of just listen. We'll have some time to do that, but I, in no way am I trying to say, here's the answer on suffering, and here's what you're supposed to do with it. This is just something we need to be ongoing talking about, because how do we hold faith and hope and active suffering at the same time? So, so we know what we're talking about. Suffering, we're defining as a state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. This could be illness and disease. This could be injury, poverty, lack, trauma, violence. All of those are forms of, of suffering. It's, it's mental illness that we're talking about at the community conversation. It's all of these things are, are forms of suffering. And if we're honest, there's lots of that in this room or adjacent to this room, in the lives of the people that we love. Frankly, there's a lot of that that keeps some folks who call one church home out of this room because they're, they're suffering. They're still in our community, but they're, they're suffering, and it's actively happening, and um, they are trying to learn to live with it. Now, though we don't talk a ton about it, there's tons in the Bible about suffering. And frankly, there's a lot of contradictory things in the Bible about suffering. I do, I, we've talked about this before. I believe that God inspired Scripture. I believe that God used people to write Scripture, and their personality came out as well. And God beautifully allowed that to happen. I also think we see that God is revealing who God is over time. And as, as people we are further understanding God as we go, right? So it doesn't mean that an early thing is wrong 
or a later thing is contradicting it, maybe it means that we're understanding God a little bit more clear. And I'm, I'm not even talking about so much right now, but as, as Scripture goes forward. So real quick, let me give you a very generalized, I realize, but here is some of the perspectives we get in the Bible on suffering. Uh, our, our, well, and let, let me give you one more caveat. If you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go to the podcast and listen to Sarah and Mac. They did a beautiful job of just talking about the subject of faith and the body, and they talked some about suffering and better than I, so we should just replay that, but we haven't yet done that, and that might feel weird, so we're going to talk again. But if you haven't heard that, I encourage you, go to the podcast and listen to that. It was really beautifully said, um, and so this is just meant to support that. So first, uh, Sarah's favorite book, the oldest book that we have, Job, has this perspective of suffering that it is a test of our faith. And a lot of us have grown up with an understanding of any time that I suffer, God is testing my faith. And here's what's, here's what's fascinating about that. That is a biblical understanding. It is in the Bible. You can have that perspective. If you're here and you're like, yeah, my current suffering, I understand as a test of my faith, I would then agree with you if that's how you see it. If that's what the Holy Spirit is convicting you of, if that's what God is showing you, that God is testing your faith, okay, I trust you. But we see other perspectives as Scripture goes. We, we get in Deuteronomy, this is probably more damaging. We get in Deuteronomy, the ideas of blessings and curses, which we talked about last year when we were in Genesis. If you want to go back and read that, I think it was the third week we looked at that. Um, but this idea is that people who are doing good do not suffer. And if you are suffering, then you are then doing bad. I will say, if you hold that view um, and you are not suffering, please change it. Because the people around you are not bad or evil or they didn't earn their suffering. Um, and, and I think that's an unfaithful reading of Scripture. I also think that's a really damaging way to live, that you get what you deserve. If you are currently suffering, then gently I say to you as well, though sometimes we suffer because of our actions. If I drive drunk and hit a house, I am probably going to have pain in my body and pain in my wallet and pain in my memory and all of those kind of things because I did something, right? I don't know why I hit a house, but that's what I hit in, in that analogy. I didn't think that one through. It's really bad driving. But anyway, there are times that we have like suffering from our actions. But even then, God, God's desire is not to punish you or punish me. God's desire is not to compound suffering so we learn our lesson. That's not really what Scripture is saying. And so if you are suffering, I really invite you to gently that you're not bad. Right. You don't deserve this. Yes. This is not God saying this is your... Uh, what God wants for you, like, it's complicated, right? I'm not trying to oversimplify anything. But you are more than your suffering, and your suffering is real. And God's heart towards you is still that you're a daughter, that you're a son. And that brings up a thousand complications, and I can't solve them. But it's true. As we go forward, then there's Ecclesiastes, right? 
And Ecclesiastes is all over the place. This is the singer-songwriter. This is a f- kind of fun book to go read. I want to read you one passage. In I mean, this is like Counting Crows wrote this. It's for all these days are full of pain, and their work is a vexation. Even at night their minds do not rest. This also is vanity. So this is just like we're all going to suffer. It's all useless. It's all painful. Sometimes we need to read that because sometimes my watch understands. And (laughs) sometimes that feels like life, right? If you're opening Scripture and that speaks to you, let it. If God is speaking to you through that, that we're all suffering. If you're reading the news, this week I listened to another podcast on what's happening in Iran, and I just, this is not new to me, but I just cried. Like, how is this happening? And how are we, like, how am I then, like, eating like life is normal? And that's not the only place that this stuff, how? If it feels like that, okay, God can minister to you to that, but that's not a complete understanding of how the Bible handles suffering. The Psalms, it's a real gift. It describes experiences of suffering without the easy answers. Personal experiences where, hey, God, you are good and I am suffering, and that doesn't make sense to me. And so sometimes opening up the Psalms and adding our amen or using them as an inspiration to write our own psalm, that's really helpful practice. Then we get to the Gospels, particularly like John 9. John 9 is when Jesus answers that it's not the blind man or his parents who sinned. The blindness is not from sin. That's complicated. So what is it from? So how does this all happen? And there is a healing that happens there, and not always a healing in our lives and all this. But it says really clear, Jesus says this is not from sin. And so if we're wrestling with things, when I think of my little Anna's brain injury, that's not from sin. She didn't sin. Her birth parents didn't sin. That's not what this is. Sometimes we need to know that. We get to the letters for the church, and there's this ongoing thing in Paul's writings, but not just in Paul. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it in other letters that it's actually a privilege to suffer. Yikes. When I read that, I'm like, you've never suffered. And then I read what they went through, and I was like, oh, good night, you have. (laughs) So, like, what do I do with this? But says really clearly that we can expect to suffer. Suffering is not the end, but we shouldn't really be surprised when our bodies age or when suffering hits us, or even what Scripture really aims at is when persecution hits, which for most of us, persecution, especially about faith, has not hit our life. Uh, In this room, I'm saying. So we see throughout the scope of of the Bible that people are trying to understand, and we're going to just join in in this. We're going to join in in trying to understand. We're going to look at a couple of Paul's, a couple chunks that Paul wrote, and I want to encourage you to read both of these chapters in, in whole, if, if you get a chance this week, just kind of chew on them. They're not easy ones, but they're worthwhile. And um, we're going to go like that. But I know we've, we've prayed, but that's a good thing to do. So let's, let's pray again and ask God to speak much more than I am, okay? Let's do that together. 
God, as we talk about this, let it not be anything more than than you helping us get words and language and a perspective from Paul from you. God, help us to be aware of our bodies, where our bodies hurt right now, where we're suffering right now, and hold that even next to an understanding of you. Let us be okay with some mystery and maybe even step further into it. We ask that you would be near. In your name, amen. So 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to look at a little bit. Uh, And verse 7 goes like this. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Okay, I sat in this a little bit. What, what is it talking about? So first, this idea of clay jars is it, some of the people that I was looking at were saying that clay jars were brought up throughout Scripture, but also in Roman times as an example of people, particular to say that the clay jar is not made by the jar. And that's part of the understanding here. The, the jar didn't make itself. So your body is, your, your, the whole of you is considered like a clay jar that had a maker, that was formed by somebody, that that jar is fragile, and that's, that's just true of clay jars. It's not a knock on you, it's not a knock on me. It might be a realization that that, that jar has limits and and capacities that can't be passed or it breaks and cracks. But also, that inside is a treasure, and that treasure is the glory of God within each clay jar. That's part of what we're, we're being drawn attention to here, is that we have the treasure of the glory of God, of Christ Jesus within us, though our exterior is this clay jar, kind of a common jar. And this is important as we go forward. It also says that the power of the gospel is is in the clay, but it does not come from the clay jar. God places it within. Now here's, so I think of this, like we, we talked, I think it was two Easter's ago, that after Jesus died, he didn't muster up strength to raise again by himself. He didn't like, go figure out like an escape room and, and get out because he was clever. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit did that. And Jesus was kind of, in a holy way, kind of kicking it and waiting. But that power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and that same power is the power that's within you, within me, within our clay jars. There is a power that is within you that you now have, but you don't have to muster up the strength on your own. You don't have to get through the escape room. You don't have to be clever enough, strong enough. You don't have to go past your capacity to be there. That power is in there. It's placed in there. It is yours because of the Holy Spirit, but it is from God. Does that make some sense? That difference is really, really important because it means that you have access to it, but you don't have to muster it up. 
You have access to the power of God, but it isn't, it isn't on your working. So we'll go on. It, this is a passage that, that might be familiar. It says in the next couple of verses, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. There's a lot going on here, and I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like early 2000s there was a song with, with some of these things, and it was a real, like, upbeat, happy song. Yeah. It's kind of weird to me that that's a happy song. Um, it's okay. I'm not knocking people. If this makes you feel happy, I'm really glad for you. To me, this is minor key. This is like, this is sad stuff. <laughs> this is the reality that like, oh yeah, we, we uh, we're perplexed. We're confused. We don't understand it all. But we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted. But we're not forsaken. We're not left. So at the time that Paul wrote this, this was a common thing. Stoic philosophers would write these lists of their afflictions to show their moral strength. But we're not showing our strength, right? Paul just addressed that. We're showing the power that God has placed within us. It's not on our flexing of our strength and our ability and our understanding of philosophy, none of that. And you look at this list, it's, it's violence against the body. It's persecution. It's painful stuff, but part of what is being said here is that it is not the end. The suffering that you are experiencing is not the end. It might feel like everything, but it's not the end. And there's this weird thing that happens that I'm not saying we should then want to suffer, but there is a weird thing that happens where we are joining together with Jesus in suffering. We understand Jesus' suffering more. And Jesus understands ours. That's part of what he's writing here. Now this persecution was done to either deter that person or others from following, right? That's why persecution happens. Anyway, even like in Iran, what, this violence towards the, and I apologize, I don't know her, I should know her name, the, the first woman who was she wasn't the first woman who was killed, but the first one that some of the protests were about. That violence was done to her to stop her or stop others from doing what she was doing by not covering her hair in the way that was seen properly, right? That's what persecution is about. I'm going to stop that person, or I'm going to stop people from going on that route. Disease, illness, and pain, though they're not the same, they kind of work we think that they work similar. I would think, and I remember when I would give my testimony when I was young, uh, any pain that I had in my life, I had to be passed because no one wants a painful story. Like, I was pretty young when my dad died and I was starting to preach and I would always talk about how broken up I was about my dad dying. And I remember people being like, no one wants to be like you. Like, no one wants that. But that's not true. God does something profound. We think that, that pain, disease, 
suffering will make no one want this faith that we have, this life that we have. But what Paul is saying here is that persecution doesn't do what it, ends, what it tries to do. It doesn't dissuade others. Actually, we see someone persecuted, it usually stirs in us some courage. And the weird thing, though I don't want you to suffer more, but when I am near people who are suffering, it doesn't dissuade me from their faith. It leaves me in awe of their faith and inspires me to live more faithful and more aware of myself, more open to be honest about any tiny bit or large bit of suffering that I've encountered. When someone is honest and vulnerable, like last week, when Sarah and Mac were honest about their journeys, I then had a long drive that day, and I, God and I just talked about like, yeah, there's parts of me that I think I've just hidden and ignored, and I don't need to anymore. And I felt more courage stir up in me about just what's ahead. Okay, I can do this. My friends are doing it. I can do this. Romans 8, Paul points out how, how this happens. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through him who loves us. He's, he's not writing this as someone who hasn't experienced anything. He's writing this as one who has experienced persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and the sword. So knowing that he has actually lived through this, think on that for a minute. Feel that for a minute. He's writing to people that he knows. We benefit from it, but he wasn't thinking of me. God may have been, but he, Paul wasn't. Paul's thinking of his friends in Rome who are facing the same things that he's like, hey, I have faced these things. And we are more than victorious through him who loves us. Some other translations use we are more than conquerors, which kicks up other songs that we have sung. What does that mean? At one point, I thought it meant that I had to then pretend that I had not suffered. I had to like, almost like detach myself from any pain that I had, turn that valve off, and then just bang the Jesus drum louder, and that that meant that I was a conqueror or victorious. That's not what this is. Remember that we are clay jars, and the power of God is within us. And something happens when clay jars start to fracture and start to deteriorate and all of that, it, it start, uh, here's the image that I want to give you. I think this is what starts to happen. You get the idea much more than the actual. But through our cracks and our suffering and our pain and all of those things, the power of God shines through some. Does that, I don't mean that that should make it all feel good and all of, I don't mean any of that. But I think of the people who have suffered in your life and remained faithful. 
you see God through them. And not despite their pain, you see God through their pain. That is where we're victorious. That's where we're conquerors. Is that the persecution or the illness or the disease, the pain, the trauma, the abuse, they didn't do what they set out to do. They couldn't defeat the power that was within you. They hurt our clay jars. There's fractures and there's tears and there's cracks. But they didn't make you. You were already made. They didn't make you powerful. That, powerful, that power was already in you. And now, as you continue to live on and imagine what faithfulness looks like, people look and they see God through your suffering. Again, I'm not trying to minimize pain or say for other people you should go. That, that is not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to just highlight how Paul lived faithfully through his own suffering, at least as I understand it. I'm not saying that this makes anything feel better, but I am saying that what you have gone through is not meaningless. And I don't, uh, I think last week, Mac, or both of you talked about how Romans 8.28 can kind of be made cliche. But like this is what is meant by I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And, and, and that we can, all things can be used together for our good. That's what these verses are talking about. Not that it's good and we should celebrate all this pain. No, but that as we cry, God sees us. He hears it. He stores our tears. We know this from Scripture. And all things can be used for our good. We can go forward because that strength's already in us. Howard Thurman, who I like a little bit, says uh, faith is born out of suffering and suffering is faith's more, most powerful contradiction I think there's a lot of wisdom in that I think when I think of the people who showed me and helped me understand faith they were often people who had suffered and not hid that there were often people who had deep questions and deep pain and knew God to a level that inspired me to want to know the same. And I think that's a little bit what Thurman's saying here. I don't want to trivialize anything, but many who I have met who have suffered are also the people that I have met who are most convinced of God and God's goodness. 2 Corinthians again, Paul writes, For we who are living are always being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is very wordy in English. It's very kind of confusing in our language. Part of this is, at the first part, it's that we're being handed over to this act of dying that, that he, part of what he's saying here is that death and life of Jesus are both present in us. 
And Paul has a very real perspective here where I believe that he is saying that he feels death and the effect of dying. And he relates to Jesus in that. But he's also acknowledging that others are looking at Paul and they are seeing life. And they are being given life even as he feels the dying. And that contradiction is something, though he didn't understand it all, he stepped into. Other people read that or knew that Paul was in chains in prison, he felt the persecution, he felt the death, and he knew that at the same time others were stirred to faith and life, and that didn't make sense, but it was real. It was what God was doing. And it inspired others to live different, and he noticed, and they would notice his power shining through, through all the persecution, through all the suffering. And so when I look at at the whole of Scripture, there's a few things that jump out that I notice. I'm not saying these are the laws of suffering. I'm not saying this is all-inclusive, any of this. But there's a few things. First, is nowhere does God or Jesus promise or invite us to expect to avoid suffering. It's not there. Unfortunately, it's been through plenty of Christian microphones. Unfortunately, it's been fed to a lot of us. But we're not given that in promise. In fact, we're given the opposite. To really kind of expect it. And so if you're in a place where you're not suffering right now, I would tell you, savor it. Enjoy it. Be grateful. Store up memories right now when you're not suffering. Write in your journal so you can reflect later. Because later you will. And I'm not trying to be a buzzkill, but you will. Scripture shows us that. One way or another you'll experience suffering. And when you're experiencing suffering, some of those things you knew before, see if you still know them now. And and if you've lived in the spot where you felt like God had promised that you'd avoid it, um, that's that's tough. And you might want to talk to someone as you come into suffering. Because we probably then go into thinking, like, I did something wrong. I earned this. God is mad at me. God left me. God did not leave you. Second thing I notice, in the end, when we're with Jesus, suffering will be no more. There won't be suffering. And so the suffering is a part of you. It is real. And yet, that will be lifted, and you'll be healed. You'll be whole. You'll get to know that again. Or maybe for the first time. This week, I had a Twice I had dreams about my dad. Just thinking about him. This series is really kicking my butt. We need to talk about something else. <laughs> but I was thinking about him. And in one of the dreams, I, I, I had this reoccurring dream for years where I see my dad at an airport. He was always flying places. I think that's why. But I, I again had that dream we're at the airport. But I'll tell you, my dad looked tall. His version of tall, which is my version of tall. So not very tall. But by the time he died, he was a little hunched over and he was a little, his body had changed in form, right? But in the dream, it wasn't true. And in the dream, he could move his right arm, which he couldn't move at the end of his life because cancer had taken the movement. And all of these things were like restored and he wasn't shuffling. He was like light on his feet. And I remember waking up and I was like, that, my dad's like that again. My dad is whole. I get to be whole. We get to be whole. In the end, though we may still have scars, 
I, th- I think the, the scars of life, I think we get into all that later. We have scars, but we're whole. Third thing I'm noticing in suffering, God can and does meet us. And often in ways we have not known before. I, I think we, again, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I think sometimes in suffering we become so aware of our body that then we realize that God wants to reveal who God is to our body, which is true of all of us. But if we're not aware of our body, we don't experience them there. And I think we become so aware of where pain is that we can then feel God near there. Almost like a, a bit of special grace. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm going to quit saying what I'm not saying. Y'all trust me but that God meets us in that space. And in some ways, even that is healing. It doesn't relieve the suffering, but the presence of God is rich there. I want to encourage you and invite you to be open to that. Fourth, I notice that there's a different power we recognize when we see the faithful remain through suffering. When we see someone else faithfully Remaining, we recognize this power within them. And that that same power is within us. And even in suffering and persecution, those can even be materials that God makes something worthwhile out of. That God makes some meaning out of. Even these messy, painful, decaying things. materials that God is faithful with. In the section in Romans, Paul ends it with this. He says, For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's one that roamed through everything at him in order to stop him from living his life of faith. That list isn't theory to Paul. That list was like Tuesday. And Paul testifies that none of those things could separate him from being the beloved. And so here... At one church, we believe we're all at the table. We all have a place at the table. We all have a voice, a story that's worth listening to. And as we hear one another's story, hear one another's voice, be attentive to one another's suffering. Not with pity or belittling. Y'all don't do that but that's not what we need, right? But real compassion. Not trivializing, but holding both the dying parts and the living parts. Recognizing the power within one another and the fragile clay jars that we are. And letting there be room and beauty in both. That's our invitation. 
in compassion, I want to invite you to see one another. But first, for just a moment, I want to invite you to see yourself with compassion. So I'm going to lead us in just a short little prayer. If you're uncomfortable, you can kind of tune out, and that's okay. I'm not offended. I don't even know. But we're just going to pay attention to ourselves, to what we're feeling for just a minute as an act of compassion, okay? This will be like two minutes long. So if you're comfortable, I invite you to close your eyes. Just pay attention where in your body feels real tight right now. Or feels pain. Where do you feel real young? Where do you feel where do you feel old? Unfortunately, we are really good at tearing ourselves apart. We're really good at noticing flaws in ourselves. But this is the clay jar that has brought you through. This is the clay jar that has weathered your childhood, your growing up, those times that you laughed and those times you cried. This is the clay jar that got you through those really dark days and through the best of days. This is your clay jar that you know what it feels like to be really cold and really warm, really tired and really rested. This is the clay jar that, that got you through COVID. Got you through all the unrest and pain around us. This is the clay jar that was made by the potter's hands. The clay jar that, yes, has been cracked by suffering and pain. And yet the one that God entrusted the treasure of the glory of God within. The power of the most faithful and holy God. This is the clay jar that our Father calls beloved. And as you're quick to have compassion for one another, this morning, for at least this moment, I invite you to have compassion for you as well. Beloved daughter, beloved son, beloved child, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us, separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.